So, guys. What's up? It's our 75th episode. Oh. How do you feel about that? Amazing. We made it. I mean, that's all well and good, but I've just found out that the Venga Boys are still touring and potentially <laughs> Anna, we could go at the end of this month and see them. Yeah, you got to get on the Venga bus. The come on. The Venga Boys are coming. Du, du, come du, 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 du. This, this uh. took a really weird turn. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Random But Memorable, the podcast brought to you by 1Password. We're here to bring you lots of friendly security advice, a roundup of the latest security news, and some very special guests. And if you're enjoying the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. As if this couldn't get any better, main stage on Saturday the 14th, Bewitched. Oh, that's a throwback. Bewitched. When was the last time you listened to some Bewitched? Uh, It was probably 95, to be honest, or 96. Okay, I should close this tab now because... Uh, We've gone down a rabbit hole, haven't we? All right. I, I think it might be time to ignore all the 90s music that we've suddenly come back around to. Yeah. I think we should probably concentrate on some Watchtower Weekly. Can now. we talk about the fact it's our 75th episode? I think we did. <laughs> we did. We said, yeah. <laughs> really? Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, would you like... What, you want me to share my favorite memory from the last 75 Go episodes? Go on. Yeah. I can't think of a single thing. <laughs> I, I can't think of a single one that hasn't been cut. That's the problem. Like, all of my favourite bits, like, I, I think recently recording the intro, if you listen to the, the intros that we've recorded, mine has, like, a, like, little giggle at the beginning of it, and that's because the previously recorded version was me doing it in a Cockney accent, <laughs> and I think that's one of my show highlights, uh, but unfortunately it, it never made it in. Yeah, you know what? My favourite memories of the show over the last 75 episodes, are all the things that didn't make the show. (laughs) (laughs) Getting to hang out with you two has been my favorite thing. Aw, right back at you. Matt, you want to say anything? (laughs) (laughs) I've got nothing. (laughs) This is the birthday greeting all over again. Just dead silence from Matt. (laughs) I think it's lovely when you two say something heartfelt. And then there's just silence from me. Yep. It's the Britishness in you. <laughs> yep. I told Carrie, my wife, that today was our 75th recording. She goes, that's it? She goes, it feels like it's been a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> right. Well, I think we've probably bantered enough. And it's time for some Watchtower Weekly. I think you're probably right. Let's do it. So this first one. Amazon have been fined $887 million over EU privacy violations. Uh, this is reported by The Verge. On July the 16th, 2021, the Luxembourg National Commission for Data Protection, or the CNPD, God, that's a good acronym, <laughs> uh, issued a decision against Amazon Europe claiming that Amazon's processing of personal data did not comply with the EU General Data Protection Regulation. The decision imposes a fine of... 746 million, that's euros, that converts to about 887 million US, which would be their largest fine ever under European data protection law. And EU commissioners announced in November 2020 that it was their belief that Amazon's retail business misused non-public data to compete with other sellers in France and Germany. So they're basically you know, using this data to determine trends and, and such where they shouldn't be using non-public data, likely internally still. Uh, But yeah, that is a big fine, Mm. very big fine, even for Amazon. Do you think so? I mean, will they notice that? I was going to say, do you think they would even feel the dent there? (sighs) I mean, 
it's easy to say no, right? But at the same time, like, no company wants to, like, get a nearly $1 billion fine. That's true. Yeah. The the interesting thing is where this money will go to. Mm. And I, I'm interested to see whether it goes to the, you know, National Commission for, for Data Protection, which means that they you know, obviously up their capacity to be able to do stuff like this or whether it it's a fine that then gets distributed to the people that had their data misused. Mm. Have you heard as well, I think it's come up in the news today, but Amazon are now offering $10 in credit for your palm print. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah. I mean, what did, did they say what they're doing with it? So you enroll your biometric data into the company's palm print recognition system, which is Amazon One. But I don't think it's clear where it's actually going to be available, which I think is the worrying thing. Yeah, it's so uh, customers can pay for goods in stores by waving their palm prints over one of the scanners. I guess by, you know, paying for that data, they then can't be fined nearly a billion dollars for for the misuse (laughs) of it because they've paid for, you know, every everything that they need to do. Oh, yeah. The dystopian future of science fiction is now. It's horrifying that Amazon is asking people to sell their bodies, but it's even worse that people are doing it for such a low price. That was from the executive director of the New York-based Surveillance Technology Oversight Project. Whew. I know, that's that's not a... That needs an acronym. That's a tongue twister, yeah. I dislike all of this. What's wrong with tapping a card on the way out? Like a credit card or something. That's the future, right? Yeah. Mm, I, this... Mm. <laughs> Like why? Why? What's with the palm print thing? Why does that need to be a thing? How is that more convenient? And can they sell it to third parties? I mean, by the time they pay you ten dollars for it, I'm sure the terms and conditions are pretty <laughs> flexible about what they can do with it. Yeah. Oh, your palm signature. I don't like it. Yeah. I mean, you can change your password, right? But you can't change your your hand, uh, <laughs> your palm print. Well, you can once. What? <laughs> what to remove it? You get a hook for a hand. Yeah, you've got two hands. <laughs> you've got two hands you can once I, I got it. it took a while oh. okay so this next one is zoom also settles a u.s class action privacy lawsuit for 86 million so lower on the scale but video conferencing firm zoom has agreed to pay 86 million dollars to settle a class action privacy lawsuit in the u.s The lawsuit alleged that Zoom had invaded the privacy of millions of users by sharing data with Facebook, Google and LinkedIn. It accused Zoom of misstating that it offers end-to-end encryption and failing to prevent hackers from Zoom bombing sessions. Uh, The preliminary hearing settlement includes a provision. (laughs) I don't know why. Would you like to start this paragraph again? The preliminary settlement includes... That broke my brain a bit. (laughs) The prelim... I can't say preliminary. That's the problem. You just said it. The preliminary settlement includes a provision that Zoom will give its staff specialized training in data handling and privacy. A Zoom spokesperson said the privacy and security of our users are top priorities for Zoom and we take seriously the trust of the users place in us. We are proud of our advancements that we have made in our platform and look forward to continuing to innovate with privacy and security at the forefront. Have they said that exact thing before? (laughs) It really feels like a copy and paste. I mean, I do feel like they are holding themselves a bit more accountable for security these days. I do too. They did make a lot of changes recently. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They're definitely trying. It doesn't seem like lip service. But this, the, the quote sounds like lip service though. 
Like, they need to match their security PR to their security development and make sure that, like, they're aware of horrible security traits in, in both, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right, this next one. A U.S. court gets U.K. Twitter hack suspect arrested in Spain. So this is by Naked Security. This involves the July 2020 Twitter hack that we covered that ultimately led to the takeover of Twitter for just 45 accounts. But these were no ordinary Twitter accounts. There were multiple high-profile verified accounts compromised, including Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Kanye West, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Jeff Bezos, and Kim Kardashian. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Who was that last one? Joff Bezos. (laughs) (laughs) Barack Obama, Jeff Bezos, and Kim Kardashian. The interesting thing about that is that all of those names have never been in the list together previously before this event. (laughs) In this hack, however, they didn't plan to sell on the high-profile accounts that they hijacked. They used them to promote a crypto coin scam that they hoped people would fall for because of the reach and influence of the accounts involved. You might think it's unlikely that anyone would fall for messages saying essentially, pay me $1,000 in Bitcoin now and I'll pay you back 2000 later. But the prestige of the accounts involved did convince hundreds of people to take a chance on it. I remember when this happened. This was really something. I remember this too. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember the tweets got really quickly deleted. Mm. Yes. But people were able to look at the Bitcoin trails and find out this fooled a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, The hack, Twitter ultimately figured out, was human-led rather than technology-driven, with the scammers using social engineering tricks, where they basically sweet-talked secrets out of people. They used them to wrangle the access credentials out of Twitter staff. The crooks then used those details later on to get into Twitter's internal support tools and to provide direct, quote, support of their own for their criminal enterprise. Well, that's kind of an ingenious way to do it, right? You get yourself access to the system, and then you give yourself tech support. Three suspects were quickly identified— Though only 17 at the time, the accused, Graham Clark, had apparently already been probed for a crypto coin heist running into a million dollars or more, but voluntarily paid back close to $1 million in bitcoins to Secret Service investigators. Clark has since received a three-year prison sentence for his part in the Twitter hack. One year on, and a fourth person, Joseph O'Connor, 22, is now not only under investigation for his alleged involvement in this hack, but under arrest in Spain. O'Connor, described in a press release from the U.S. Department of Justice merely as a citizen of the United Kingdom, was arrested at a Spanish holiday resort and will now presumably face extradition to the United States. Interesting. Yikes. Do you think he just happened to be on a nice holiday in Spain enjoying the inflatable unicorn he bought with his Bitcoin? Or or do you (laughs) think he was hiding out from the police? No, I reckon he was on a long holiday enjoying his uh, (laughs) cryptocurrency stolen. The age on these two is just incredible. 17, I was, I don't know, learning to swim? I really don't know. Crazy. Yeah. Gosh. I like how he's like, here's here's the money back, sir. I'm so sorry. And they're like, that's nice. Three years in prison, though. Yeah, yikes. Yeah. I, the things that I would have done at 17 with a million dollars would have gotten me caught instantly. There would have been no, you know, tracking me or anything like that. I would have bought that holiday resort in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> Joining me on the show today are two of the hosts behind What The Hack, a new podcast that is one part true crime whodunit versus one part how to fix it and focuses on the actionable learnings from personal experiences with cybercrime. Every week, the crew talks to fascinating people about the most terrifying, embarrassing or infuriating things that have ever happened to them in the cyberspace. Here to tell me more are What The Hack hosts, Adam and Bo. It's great to have you here. It is great to be here. Thanks for inviting us, Matt. So, first of all, 
a great name for a podcast. Can you tell me a little bit more about it and why did you decide to create a show talking to the victims of cybercrime? I don't know. I mean, I would say, Adam, you and I have spent about 10 years sitting in a room talking about cyber things. And we realized at some point last year that the conversations we were having were a lot of fun and also probably pretty edifying for a lot of people. So we started talking about putting out a podcast that would help everyday people with everyday problems because cybersecurity has become, Adam, this is your thing. It has become the what? It is the third certainty in life, breaches and hacks behind death and taxes. And I know he's going to say that because I've been working with him for 10 years and I know exactly what's going to come out of his mouth. (laughs) When people become victims of identity theft or cyber incidents, it's very jarring. I mean, it can turn their lives upside down. It can truly put them in harm's way. And we wanted to have a show where people could actually, it's almost, it's like a catharsis for people. And in some cases, it's therapy. It's like, we want people to talk about what happened to them. We don't believe that if you're a victim of one of these crimes, that you should feel shame. No shame. Zero shame, right? There's no shame. This is, this is, we call the no shame zone on our show. Yeah. Because... It's going to happen to each and every one of us. Yeah, but I mean, we Adam and I know because we come across people from all walks of life, literally, from the upper echelons of the media to just friends and family. Friends and family, obviously, for us, more important, right? Because we want to make sure that they are okay. And when people get hacked, they are not okay. They are freaking out. When we do this on a daily basis with people who come to us, real people, we're engaging in various forms of levity and really serious talk about what they can do to solve their situation. And, you know, what the hack actually grew out of our daily experiences working with people who had experience to compromise our hack. So that's where Adam and I come in and we try to be their cyber uncles. They're crazy cyber uncles. (laughs) It's just important to understand that there's a human factor in all this and it doesn't matter how much money you throw at technology. If people aren't really focused and alert, aware of the threats, aware of some of the solutions, and aware of the fact that the best way for us to get a handle on this is for everybody to communicate, collaborate, and cooperate. And and our show is really, it's all about making it accessible to human beings to understand we're all in this together. That's fascinating. And it's also terrifying to hear about it as a third certainty. Death Taxes and data breaches on are three kind of equally terrifying things to me. <laughs> so what are some of these horrifying, fascinating stories that you've heard of? Like, what's the one that really kind of shook you? The evil clown. Adam? <laughs> yeah, this is, um, and in fact, uh, a close friend of Bo's had this particular experience. That freaked me out. What happened is that one of Bo's friends, shall we say, is uh, politically liberal and was trolling QAnon websites and was sort of discovered while he was trolling a QAnon website. And And I might have been there with him. I I might have been trolling people with my friend Roy. Well, tell the story then, Bo. Well, so I thought, my my thought was that, sure, there are definitely on Telegram a bunch of people with hacking skills, especially in the QAnon side of things. As this happened, Roy calls me up and goes, oh my God, I said, what? He said, somebody just took a picture off of my computer that existed nowhere else. Yep. So I said, are you sure? And he said, yeah. 
I'm a hundred percent sure his wife had taken the picture and sent it to him. And the only place he had it was in his computer. It wasn't on his phone. It wasn't online. It didn't exist anywhere else. So how did it happen? And we both were sitting there like, you know, in the horror movie where the call's coming from inside the house. Yep. The yeah, operator's yeah. like, get out, get out. There's someone That's the That's dig a hole and bury a computer material, that is. Oh, man, yeah. We covered the Pegasus stuff last episode, and that's terrifying enough. Like, we want to just quit technology and become farmers. <laughs> but <laughs> there's, there's too many drones in farming nowadays, I think. So, so we're, we're, we're giving up on that career as well. Well, Roy actually is a small farmer, and his story was amazing. And what had happened was he was on a list of people that were placing messages. And in that list, there was a steganography attack. One of the images had a piece of code in it that triggered malware that was already in his computer. So this is fishing by chum, right? This is just like throwing blood in the water and hoping Jaws comes. The Jaws being like the time you sent out the malware that was inactive, sitting on your computer, waiting for the other piece to set it off. That's the best we can guess that happened to him. And he did see an evil clown. So he saw, you know, he was like, I saw an evil clown and then boom. People, honestly, I I think, believe that only happens in movies. But uh, I think, you know, you hang around the wrong corners of the internet long enough. And uh, yeah, that does sound terrifying. I'm shook at that, I think. He was a social justice fighter. But Matt, he was just doing good social justice warfare. He was trying to fight for truth and justice. And evil clown took him out with a roof lizard. You know, years ago, there was a trailer for movies and it was a horror movie. And you heard in the background. It's only a movie. Well, unfortunately, Mm -mm. online, it's not only a movie anymore. It's really real. I mean, the game game over. Real world consequences. Yeah, no, for real. Yeah. Yeah. And so most of our guests have had that. Or we did have one episode where we listened and listened and listened. And then we got off the phone and I called Adam and I was like, "Mm, I don't think he got hacked. You? Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes the paranoia is not completely justified. Right. Yeah. Sometimes people just forget a password and then they lock themselves out. Do you think your your podcast is trying to put emphasis on the fact that we are all vulnerable to this? Is that the kind of importance that you're trying to get across here? Like the equal playing ground that everybody is on in, in terms of this stuff? Well, I think it's important because we all have day jobs. Now, whether it's running a company, working for somebody, getting an education, raising a family, being involved in philanthropic activities, that's our day job. In fact, many of us have multiple day jobs. But we always have to remember the person on the other side of that screen that may be looking or the scammer. We are their day job. So as a result, they got a lot at stake in essentially getting to know us really well. And, you know, I always say to people, when you look in the mirror, you see you. However, to a hacker, you're Beyonce, you're JC, you're Boris Johnson. I mean, you pick your celebrity, as it were. And the reason is because we have a lot of data, we have a lot of information, or in the case of a number of people, we're the tributary to a larger river. So it may not be about us. It may be about a parent, a spouse, a child, an organization we're affiliated with, the company we work for. And it may not even be about our company. It may be about a company with which our company has a relationship. It could even be because of Facebook. It could even be a company. I know Adam works for XYZ company. And, or Adam's my friend and he works for XYZ company. You see that Adam and I are friends on Facebook. You hack me 
because you want to hack into XYZ. You have seen on Facebook that Adam and I banter a lot on Facebook. So you have a pretty good guess if you can get my phone number and his phone number. You can spoof a text and get him to click on a link. There's a thousand ways to go one, two, three removes in. And there's a lot of reason for people to be doing it. And it's also important to remember, without causing you to lose sleep or anything, that a lot of these hacks are state-sponsored. And they are looking to get into XYZ company for very specific reasons. And they do know how to get in and they do understand the ecosystem to get there, which could be me. It could be you. It could be anyone. I think it's super important to to say like, it's dangerous out there, but here's what you can do. And so Adam developed something, Adam and I, over the years, we came up with something we call the three M's. Well, basically the three M's are how do you minimize your risk of exposure, reduce your attackable surface? Not easy in a world with 25 billion Internet of Things devices, all eavesdropping, tracking, and doing that. How do you monitor so you know as quickly as possible that you have a problem? And how do you manage the damage when you find out you have a problem? Do you try to do it yourself? Do you go to an organization with experience? Have you been provided access to an organization with experience? One of the most important things in the first M is strict password protocol, which is where you guys come in. Absolutely. Because, you know, and we recommend get a password manager. Passwords are so, so we have an episode with a journalist. It's called Jake's Dirty Little Secret. You know, this episode of What the Hack features a story we've all faced where you get a text or an email saying, we've seen you looking at pornography. We have a video of you looking at pornography. And we're going to disseminate that video to your friends and family and work, whatever, to get you fired because you're gross. If you don't give us $1,000 in Bitcoin, whatever it is. Now, the guy we talked to, they wanted 1000 or so from him. I was actually insulted because they wanted 7000 from me. <laughs> and we know people that they hit up for 14000 But the whole thing is that when yeah. people don't know, they can't remember. And that's when they become the most vulnerable. Because when you're trying to figure out, was it me? Did I really do that? You know, it's daunting. But the thing was, that was password driven. That was a password thing. Remember, we went and we looked at his stuff and he, Adam was like, look up, have I been pwned? And he did. And he was on there all over the place. And that's how they got his password. Because right. now, wait for it. He used the same password for something like 10 years, was it? Yeah. Across likely multiple different sites. Like, yeah, that will come back to bite you. I think everyone has a blind spot when it comes to passwords, because do you have any idea, Matt, what the average number of passwords and logins that people have? I've seen ranges of data from 40 to 100 of like internet accounts that people have. Yeah. But I, I think that's all questionnaire based, which I think is flawed from the beginning, right? Like when you ask someone how many online accounts that they have, they're not realizing that they bought a Dyson Hoover in 1980 and needed an online account for it. And like, I think right. asking people how many online accounts they've got is a flaw in the questionnaire. I think it's probably a lot higher. How did you find out about my Dyson Hoover? <laughs> I'm distressed. <laughs> Do you think people kind of cover up the fact that they've been in a security incident as well. You said your podcast is kind of a no shame area, but people are obviously, they believe that they've been tricked somehow. And I think most people, they don't like that. The podcast, is it kind of a way to change that mindset? Like this is a third certainty and it's not a case of being stupid. It's a case of this happens to everyone. Well, it does. And people should understand that, but it depends upon the kind of scam that they've been taken in by. If it's a catfishing scam, a romance scam, 
Or I found with senior citizens, for instance, there's a shame culture as far as they're concerned. They don't want to tell. They don't want their family and friends to know a grandparent scam. You know, when they fall for things that upon reflection, they go, what was I thinking? I mean, now for some people, it's a catharsis. It's a therapy session. They, they want to tell people. They want to make sure that people don't make the same mistake that they made. Yeah. Uh, but there are other people where they're, they're far more uh, circumspect about really giving information. And then when you're dealing again with certain kinds of crimes, you also have family members that say to them, don't talk about it. No one should know. No, I think that I think that's true. But I guess the show has, I would say that the, every single guest between the two of us, we're pretty open about the compromise threat level being all over and ubiquitous and, and unavoidable. So I, I think people feel pretty comfortable talking about their stories. And it's great because I believe the, the show itself, What the Hack, is going to help a lot of people become more cyber secure just by hearing stories and being able to say, if they don't want to be on the show, that's one thing, but, but they can still say, oh, I do that. And I just heard, because that's what we talk about, I heard what I can do to not do that and make myself more cyber secure. Yeah. Your podcast is, is 50% true crime whodunit and 50% how to fix it. What tips are the first ones that you immediately give to someone? I know the three M's are there, but like what practical tips are the first ones that you go to? As we say, you know, the key takeaways would be first, strict password protocols, password managers, enabling two-factor authentication, never authenticating yourself to anyone who contacts you, because if they contact you, theoretically, they should know who you are and why they're contacting you, especially if it's the government or supposedly the government or a financial services institution or your employer. It means not downloading every app that sounds really cool and new and exciting and shiny, but like maybe do some research on them, go to legitimate app stores. It means you just don't click on links or open in attachments because you think you know who they came from. And remember also that even if you know who they came from, that person, their email could have been hacked or they might have innocently passed on something that they got that they really haven't checked out. So that's why you need to be very careful about that. Yeah. I mean, we say, for instance, you know, I would just start from this point, Matt. Here you go. Ready? You just got hacked. Prove me wrong. I want that to be how everybody proceeds all the time. Because even if I recognize a phone number in my phone, that number can be spoofed. Even if I get an email that is an email from Adam, that email can be spoofed. So if I get an email that I'm not expecting and Adam says, I need you to wire 10 grand to so-and-so, I'm going to start with like, did that really happen? Now, if I have to send 10 grand to somebody and I know I do, and I get a text from Adam saying, did you send the 10 grand? I'm still going to call him and I'm still going to hear his voice say yes. So we're all about, you know, trust but verify sometimes. But I mean, actually, I think we're more like distrust and verify in this environment. It's like never trust, always question. Because with, with a lot of these scams, it ain't coming back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you send the money, yeah. if you suddenly put your personal identifiable information in the hands of someone who is not your friend, it's not like you can do a Vulcan mind meld and get it back. <laughs> it's not coming back. It's out there. I completely agree. Yeah. 
I think that's all we've got time for. But but rounding us out, where can people go to listen to your podcast on the internet? Well, they can go anywhere that they get their podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Apple, or a host of other sites. And if you need further information on the kinds of things we've talked about today, as well as the podcast, go to adamlevin.com. Not the other guy with the E, but go to adamlevin.com. Right. For security, not Maroon 5. I got it. Correct. (laughs) That's it. All right. Thank you both very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you so much for inviting us and have a superb day. So, my lovable podcast hosts, we are running a giveaway this episode. It's been a while uh, since our last giveaway. And to celebrate our 75th episode, we're giving our listeners a chance to win some 1Password swag and one year of 1Password for free. Oh, man. Does this mean that Matt has to go to the post office and send somebody something? Either me or Matt, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, to enter, all you need to do is let us know your favorite podcast moment over the years. And you can submit your entries using the Ask 1Password hashtag on Twitter, or you can email us at media at onepassword.com. This giveaway closes on August the 23rd, so you have until then to submit your entries. Very nice. That's it. All they got to do is... Post with the hashtag? So what are we doing? We're picking one winner? Yeah. Picking a few? Depending on what we enjoy. It's got to be good, though. It's got to be really good. And <laughs> I like how open it is. could be anything. Anna is dictating who, who wins and who loses it. It's good. Yeah. Hopefully our listeners have a better memory than we do, apparently. <laughs> that is true. We could only remember bits that got cut. Yeah. It'd be nice to relive some of the uh, the magic, you know? No? Yeah. <laughs> No, no, yeah, no, it would. I enjoyed the silence there. That was the best bit. Sometimes (laughs) I just like to leave silences. (laughs) Throw a dog a bone. (laughs) It would be very nice to relive the magic, of course. (laughs) All right, I think we're ready for three-word password. It's a good one this week. I'm excited. Three-word password, of course, the single worst way to share a password and perhaps even the worst way to communicate. We really are quite bad at this sometimes. Yeah. Uh, we use cryptic clues to guess the three mystery words created by our memorable password generator. And I had to hit it a few times for this. It might be easier than normal because the more times you hit it, like the more selective I am. So here we go. Word number one. Covering an area of 814.2 square kilometers and located near the Brindabella Ranges in Australia. Unusually for Australia, it was an entirely planned city sometimes called the Bush Capital, for its sweeping nature reserves and surrounding mountain ranges. There you go. What are you thinking? God. There's not too many places in Australia. Your Australian geography not up to, not up to I scratch? I mean, you've got Perth and Sydney. I'm out. Yikes. <laughs> okay, do you need a hint? It's not going to be either of those, is it? The key is in the Bush Capital. The Bush. Uh-huh. George Bush. <laughs> It's, it's it's not that cryptic. It's not it's not a murder mystery that you've got to follow the clues. Oh dear. You, you're concentrating on the wrong word. The. The. <laughs> the. Uh, the capital. The capital. Uh, the capital. Sydney. No, Perth. Si- it's the capital of Australia, right? No, it's not. No, no, it isn't. Melbourne. No. S- Sydney. Sydney isn't the capital, though, is it? No, it's not. What's the capital of what's the capital of Australia? Come on. None people. of this can make it in the show. I have friends in yeah. Australia, good <laughs> friends, and I will not be this you, embarrassed. You in front both of them. don't know the capital of Australia. Shut no. up. And no. 
<laughs> Can we just like that... do a different Brisbane? Brisbane? No. Oh. <laughs> the blind leading the blind here this is the worst it's canberra <laughs> can we just do a different three web bars <laughs> i can't but that one i thought you'd get instantly i literally said the bush capital like the capital no we can't include that we can't include that we don't know the capital of australia i don't like it i don't like that i don't know this and i i don't i don't like it but listen sometimes this is this is real life so i guess it's in right on to the next one. To, to speak rapidly and intelligibly. Oh, I nearly did it myself then. <laughs> to speak rapidly and intelligibly, typically through fear or shock, speech that is or appears to be nonsense. It may include speech sounds that are not actual words. The term was first seen in England in the 16th century. It is generally thought to be an onomatopoeia imitating speech so Rue, say what you think have you got some some suggestions is it mumble it isn't no oh is it titter no i've put gibberish it is it is gibber yes is it just gibber well we got one which i thought was an interesting one because you only ever hear it with ish on the end right you only really ever heard gibberish yeah there we go jibber jabber jibber jabber don't give me no jibber jabber as mr t would say yeah Okay, third one. Here we go. Quit your jibber jabber. <laughs> you ain't hurt. I ain't getting on no plane. Okay. <laughs> a term meaning waste or debris of any kind, often that results directly from disintegration. When used in a biological sense, where the term precludes to dead particulate material, uh, organic material. Ooh. Go on, say what you think. Is it detritus? It is. <gasps> yeah! Yes, well done, Ray. Which is another one that I I rarely would ever choose to use in a sentence, but the yeah. password generator picks it up and it's a good one. It's a good word. Detritus. Yeah, I like that a lot. Detritus. I think that's the next name when I buy a, a MacBook and, and name it. Detritus. No, that's the name of your first child, right? <laughs> Detritus Davy. Detritus Davy. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, we redeemed ourselves a little well, at the end there, but not really from not knowing the capital of Australia. We can't really come back from that, can we? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so ne- yeah, next time on Three Word Password, even more general knowledge that you would assume two grown ups have. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's going to make it very geography heavy and just <laughs> lean on our Achilles heel. It's great. Oh, Australia special next time. <laughs> Australian yeah. special. And if you're struggling to think of your favourite random but memorable podcast moment, just pick the time that Anna and Rue didn't know the capital of Australia. <laughs> Easy. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so mad and embarrassed. <laughs> well, this was a wonderful 75th. Love you both. Have a good day. Love you both. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.